Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. I want to share with you today three stories, one prayer, and one remembrance. Three stories, one prayer, one remembrance. I would imagine that some of you, like me, have started something and it didn't end the way you wanted it to. Ring a bell? You started a business and it ended up in failure. You said, I do, and they said, I don't. You spent 18 years raising a child and they've gone buck wild. Oftentimes, the things that we start just don't return us what we thought they would. Been there? Done that? Oftentimes, we see those moments as waste. Man, I wasted all that money. Oh, man, I I wasted those seven years of marriage. I I wasted all that time. I, I went and got that degree and thought I would have a great job. I wasted my education. I mean, I just go on and on. Sometimes we've got to stop and ask ourselves, what are we going to do with all this waste? I mean, it's just, this is very uncool. And when you get to that point where you realize, wait a minute, have I wasted something? Now we have to know, what do I do with that? Well, I want to begin today with a story that's that's not often read, but it's it's found in the Old Testament, the book of 1 Chronicles. So if you're watching online or you're here in the room today, just open up the Sugar Hill Church app and hit resources. And when you get there, just go ahead and open up the message notes. And you'll see the sermon notes there. All of these passages are in there. And uh, just follow along because there's three stories, one prayer, one remembrance. And that's all, that's all we've got today. Three stories, one prayer, one remembrance. And the first story comes from a book of First Chronicles. Now, First Chronicles is basically a story lesson about David. Now, the, the history on David, this is the same David who killed Goliath with a slingshot in the rock, same David who killed, you know, the bear and the lion, the same David who messed up and cheated on his wife, the same David who committed murder, the same David who the New Testament says was a man after God's own heart, the same David who danced till his clothes fell off. Okay, we're talking about a complex dude. Are you with me? And, and so David, now to, to paint this picture even more, David is like a very, I don't know how to, he is the Elvis of the Old Testament. I mean, seriously, it just, just picture that, all right? He's totally Game of Thrones, but a man after God's own heart. Are you with me? I mean, here's a guy that clearly wants to dance and praise the Lord, but he knows how to use a sword. I mean, this is a complex cat, right? And so David, in this story, if you remember, he's from the same town Jesus was born in, Bethlehem. If you remember the the Christmas story, what do you hear? You know, came from the town of David, right, from the lineage and the house of David in Bethlehem. And in that time, in the Near East and in the Middle East, every little town, every hamlet, it was created based on water availability. So there was a gate where you went into Bethlehem, and right outside that gate was where you drew water from. And the the backstory of the history here in 1 Chronicles in chapter 11, we're going to pick up in verse 16, but in in that story, David is hiding out in the caves with what's called 
called his mighty men. It's an army of about 100 dudes, and these guys are like the best of the best. I mean, seriously, they make Bear Grylls look like a sissy. These guys are all about getting after it, right? And three of these dudes separate themselves from the pack because they are uniquely called the three. They weren't real creative, but they were really cool, all right? And so the three separate from the pack. And we'll pick up the story in verse 16 in First Chronicles chapter 11. David was staying in the stronghold at the time. Now remember, it's a time of war, so David is hanging out in the caves that are about 11 or 12 miles outside of Bethlehem. And the Philistine detachment had occupied the town of Bethlehem. So good guys are David and the Israelites. Bad guys are the Philistines. The Philistines have taken over Bethlehem, and David is hiding out in the cave making plans for how he and his mighty men are going to get after them some Philistine. Are you with me? And so what happens in verse 17, David remarks longingly to his men, Oh, how I would love some of that good water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem. I mean, really what he's doing here is, dude, don't you remember when times were simpler and I just had to kill the lion? Don't you remember when it was just easier when I hung out with sheep? On the, I mean, I was the baby. It was a whole lot easier. It, it, when I just walked down there to kill Goliath, I mean, it wasn't that big a deal. But now all these decisions I make affect all these people. And it's just, I just long for a simpler life. Don't you remember that? I mean, wasn't life easier when you were single and the only decisions you made just kind of affected you? And then you got married and it ramped up to one level. And then you had babies and went to a whole nother level. And then, then they got to like graduating from high school and it was like every decision had massive consequences. And then they went to school and then they got married and then they had babies and you're a grandparent. It's just like, oh man, crisis to crisis. I just would love an easier time. Remember when life was simpler. I always think that way when I'm doing my taxes. I mean, seriously, I mean, I remember when I used to get a refund. How cool. David's kicking back saying, man, I remember what it was like in Bethlehem as a boy. I could just walk up to that well and get some fresh water. Man, I'd just love to have some of that fresh water right now. So the three... They take off and they go. They hike the 11 or 12 miles to Bethlehem, fight their way through the Philistine guards, draw the water, hike another 11 or 12 miles back to the stronghold, give David the water, and look what happens. And so you see in, in the second part of verse 18, but David refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. God forbid that I should drink this, he exclaimed. The wa this water is as precious as the blood of these men who risk their lives to bring it to me. Now, let me put this in context. There is David, and he just kind of says out loud, dude, I, just, I wish I could have some of that water from my hometown. It would cool and crisp. How great would that be? So three dudes take off, fight their way through, get the water, hike all the way back, about 24 miles round trip, and they bring the water to their leader, and he takes one look at it and pours it on the ground. I am one ticked off mighty man at that point. Are you with me? I mean, wouldn't you be? Dude, I walked 24 miles to get you a cup of water. You are killing me. But David makes a point of why he pours it out. He says, this is an offering unto the Lord. Now, remember what I say, that if you understand the context in which the story was written, you'll understand the context for us today. So the context in which it was written means this. The time in which this was written, it was, it was normal for people to offer a drink offering unto the Lord. 
It was a recognition that apart from God, this food and this water wouldn't be ours. We wouldn't have it. It's really saying, God, thank you for this food. Thank you for this wine. Thank you for this water, whatever it is. And you pour it out as an offering, a drink offering unto the Lord. You find it in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You find it all through the Bible. You find it some in the New Testament. So these guys have hiked 24 miles, fought through the Philistine garrison, drawn the water, got back to David, and he looks at it and says, for me to drink, that would be a sin because of the sacrifice these men made. And he takes the water and he pours it out. Now, why did they get bent out of shape? Because they understood that David was saying, Lord, here, whatever costs something is worthy of it becoming sacred. David takes their sacrifice and makes it sacred, and he pours it out. And you say, man, that, that makes no sense to me. You see, what David is saying is that which cost you something, raising that child, giving those funds, going on that mission trip, meeting the needs of my neighbor, going through the pains of relationship. All those things cost you something. They're not a waste. This is God saying it's worthy of becoming sacred in your life. Pour that out. And then we go over in the New Testament, we find a different pour. We go over in the New Testament in Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, and you find the, the, they're called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're the first four books in the New Testament. And so, interestingly, they're named for the guys who wrote them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Matthew writes in the 26th chapter, beginning of verse 6, he writes the story of a different poor, all right? And it says, meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. He was known as Simon the leopard. That is a major bummer for a name. Simon the leopard, don't you want to hang out with that dude, right? That's like, that's like hanging out with like Dave, who's Debbie Downer, right? Yeah, I can't wait to do a ball game with him. Right? So Simon the leper is hanging out. Jesus is reclining by the table, hanging out with his boys. And this lady walks in. And look what, look what happens. While, in verse 7, while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. And the disciples were indignant. They were angry when they saw this. What a waste, they said. It could, not, it could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, replied, why do you criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the whole world, this woman's deeds will be remembered and discussed. And here we are in 2015 talking about her today. I mean, Jesus said, you're going to remember this lady, but now I want you to notice what she did. She had a poor of a different kind. You see, the story with David was he was brought an offering, and he saw the sacrifice, and he poured it out as an offering. Here, the lady brings her sacrifice. Now, to put this in context, the ointment, the oil that she brought, the perfume, it was worth an annual wage. So let's, let's say, put it in context today, let's say you make 75 grand a year. That oil was worth 75 grand. Are you with me? This is some expensive stuff. So naturally, when she breaks the seal and pours the whole thing on top of Jesus' head and the disciples see droplets of this oil falling onto the dusty floor, what do they say? Whoa! Why did you should have sold that and used the money to feed the poor? Now, let me remind you, they weren't doing that good at that themselves. And history records the first dude that stood up was Judas. Hello? But she didn't give a dot. She poured the whole thing. Remember, oil 
is a picture of the Spirit of the Lord. But more importantly in the story, see this context, that that's how you prepared a body for burial. What she said was, I know something you guys don't. And Jesus said, what she's done is good. He says, leave her alone. This woman has done something good for me. We're going to talk about her for the rest of the ages. You know why? Because she's done what she could. You see, some of us bring something that is a sacrifice to us, and that becomes sacred. David received something, and he had to pour it back unto the Lord. That's sacred. I, I, I want to offer this up. And she brought something that was, that was a sacrifice, and she offered it and poured it out. Now, let me tell you a third story. The third story comes from the New Testament over in a book called 2 Timothy, written by a fellow by the name of Paul. Now, he originated and started in Jerusalem as a guy by the name of Saul. Saul was a big deal in the Jewish church. I mean, he was a big cog in the synagogue. He was an important dude, and he was one of the Pharisees, wanted to be part of the Sadducees, and he was a very important guy, but he hated people who followed Jesus. And on a road, Jesus blinds him and says, Saul, your name's going to be Paul. I'm going to blind you for a few days, and then you're going to go see this cat, Ananias. When you see him, he's going to tell you that I'm going to give you your sight back, and when you do, now you're going to tell everybody that you're a follower of Christ. So Saul's like, whoa. He wound up writing most of the New Testament, and in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning of verse 5, here's what he says. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Okay, now this is where me and Paul start separating ways. A clear mind in every situation. You mean when my life is falling apart, keep a clear mind? You, okay, when my relationships are broken with somebody, keep a clear mind? When I've lost everything I own, keep a clear mind? I mean, come on, when people are criticizing you and people wearing you out, keep a clear mind? But then he says, why? Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news. Fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Now, there is no other context that we should take this other than God is saying through Paul that the ministry God is giving to you. And part of that ministry goes along with suffering. Part of what we recognize when we participate in communion in the Lord's Supper later today is that we identify with Christ's suffering. If you've chosen to be a Christ follower, I promise you, suffering is on the way. The good news is, so is hope. So is grace. So is forgiveness. And so he says in verse 6, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I've remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. So what he's saying to us is abundantly clear. He's saying, my life has been spent as an offering, and I pour this out. I've been poured out out. I am empty. I've been used by God to make a difference in people's life. And so we see in the Old Testament, David saying, what I've received is so sacred, I pour it out. What we see in the New Testament with, with Jesus being anointed by this lady is, I want to give this anointment. I want to give this sacred act. I want to give it away so that it might be used to prepare him and identify with him. And then Paul says, and I've been poured out. My life has been poured out. I've been used by God to make a difference for the cause of Christ. And we see all of these things happen, and we wonder, where did the waste come from, and was it wasteful? Having raised six daughters, man, we have seen some stuff. I'm telling you, we have seen the good, the bad, and the very ugly. Haven't you? 
I mean, it doesn't take long to find people in this room who have some messed up stuff going on in their life. And God says it's not a waste. If you've gone through heartache, you go through pain, you're in the middle of it now, God's saying it's not a waste. If it's sacrificial, if it's sacramental, it's sacred. Let me use this for good that you could be pouring it out onto someone else. Jenny and I didn't ask for a blended family with six daughters. Who would do that? Seriously. Would you pick that and say, hey, God, if you could, could you bring me a few extra daughters to suck the life out of me? (laughs) Nobody prays that prayer, man. And you go through all of that, and you know what you think to yourself? But God can take that and make it sacred when I make it sacrificial. So whatever you're here today with, You brought in this room a messed up marriage. You brought in this room a messed up relationship with your kids. You brought in this room a lack of finances. You brought in this room no job. You brought in this room some addiction. You brought into this room some affliction. Whatever you brought in this room, the one prayer that connects all of these together is this one word. Are you ready? One of my favorite authors is so sacrilegious. I love to read her. Her name is Anne Lamott. I love to read this chick. She may drop like five F-bombs on you, but listen, her stuff's amazing. And in the middle of that, she wrote a book called Help, Thanks, Wow. And she says, those are the three prayers in life. Help, God, I need you. Thanks, God, thank you for hearing me. Wow, look at this life you're building. I want to get more simple than Anne Lamott did. And say the prayer that links all of our sacrifice is one word, here. It's the picture that whatever you've been carrying for however long you've been carrying it, you just come to the God of all creation, the divine, and say, here. I'm tired of carrying this relationship. I can't do it. I'm tired of trying to raise this kid in the nurture and not minister of Christ and have a broken heart. Here. I'm tired of not having money. I'm tired of being tired. I'm tired of fighting cancer. Here. It's one prayer that says whatever it is, bring the greatest sacrifice that says to the God of all creation, the one who loved you more than you could ever love yourself, and say, here. Whatever you're carrying, here. In every story that we talked about today, in every story in the New Testament, Every story found in the Old Testament picturing the forecoming of Jesus the Christ. We find one thing woven through every part of that story. The sacredness of sacrifice. The sacredness of sacrifice is woven throughout the Bible story that's for you and for me. It is a story that says, don't allow your sacrifice to be wasted. Let it be sacred. Bring it to the Lord with this one word prayer that just says, here. God, I'm tired of trying to carry this. Here. Jesus, I'm sick of fighting this. Here. I'm tired of being bitter. I'm tired of this fight. Here. It's this concept that there's no one else that can carry it. There's no one else that can take it from you. There's no one else that can bring healing in it. Here. Just God, here. I don't know what you bring today. I don't know everything you brought to this party. 
But I do know this. I know the one that wants to receive it from you and wants to hear you say, here. I can't carry it anymore. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.